Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Good evening, and how about them cowboys? All right. Hi, Landry. Good to see you, man. No, I was just saying hi to you. It's good to see you, bud. <laughs> good, thank you. Going real good. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we are in church again. Like, we're here like twice a week, at least. It's great. Amen. I'm glad to see all of you here. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and jump over to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Now we are getting into, remember the shift, the, the shift of the message, of the theme, of the, really the attitude of the writer. Uh, in 7, he, he closes a thought and then opens a new one. And that new one was about the new covenant that we covered last week how much greater and better the new covenant is, and it's, it's a better covenant established upon better promises. And now we, you know, we've, as I've said throughout this series, that this book of Hebrews is, is an argument for the superiority of Christ over all. And it is, uh, it's, it's a book of comparisons, drawing out these contrasts between Jesus and the prophets, Jesus and uh, Moses, um, uh, Jesus and the angels, uh, Jesus and Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. We, as we learned that his priesthood is, is according to the order of Melchizedek, the priesthood that has no beginning of days nor the end of uh, days. But it, his priesthood, Jesus' priesthood, is according to the power of an endless life. We saw that the Levitical priesthood is one that was temporary, that God had not made an oath concerning that priesthood. Therefore, it was easy to close the book on that one. But this priesthood, God swore. He said it, and then he said, I swear it's true. All right? Which by two immutable things, there's, this cannot be broken. All right? This can never change. This priesthood has been established forever and ever and ever. And Jesus Christ will always be your high priest, your loving, sympathetic, always interceding for you high priest. Chapter 9 opens, and, and, and we will we'll read throughout this chapter, that it's also more contrast, all right? It's more contrast as he is, he is accelerating this argument. And um, it's, it's, it's the contrast of the two tabernacles, uh, the earthly tabernacle where the, the way to God was behind a veil uh, versus the uh, heaven itself, as the Scripture says. That where there is, thank God, no veil there. Uh, then there's the two priesthoods. He touches on this again, the Levitical priests and Christ our great high priest. The offerings that they offered up, the, the, the Levitical priests continual daily sacrifices, as well as the day of atonement where the high priest once a year, remember went behind the veil uh, with blood, once a year uh, for atonement of the people's sins. And that offering in contrast to Christ's one sacrifice of himself at that cross. And then the results are different. The contrast of the results. The results of the, the bulls and goats that could not thoroughly cleanse uh, anyone from their sin, uh, nor could those sacrifices relieve their conscience uh, from a sin consciousness. Uh, but Jesus' blood cleansed our conscience from dead works, it says, and it obtained eternal redemption as well as an eternal inheritance. Marvelous. So let's jump into verse 1 of chapter 9. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. 
Then indeed, then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So he's giving us a brief run-through of the first tabernacle that God had instructed Moses to build, Right? And he talked about that first part. First of all, there was a veil in order to come into the first part. There was a curtain that only the priests had access to, the priests who did the daily uh, services to the temple. They did the daily sacrifices and whatever else the Lord required. And, and in that place was the showbread, <clears throat> the lampstand, and the table. And then, uh, then there was a second curtain into another room that was called the holiest of all or the holy of holies. And there was where the Ark of the Covenant rested, that box, that golden box that housed the presence of God. That's where he lived. And there was also the golden censer to burn incense. And that's where only one man could go. That was the high priest behind the second veil. All right? And this was how God had set up the system. Now remember, these things were shadows of the actual tabernacle in heaven, which we'll get into. Verse 6, now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year. I want us to pay attention to that. The high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So, as I said, the tabernacle has these two parts, and only the high priest could go in that second part, not any time, but one time a year. All right? Once a year, not without blood, he had to take that, that sacrifice of the, the blood of bulls and goats and walk into that holy of holies and pour that blood on the mercy seat for the, to atone for his own sins and the people's sins. All right? One guy had that job. One guy. He had to perform this ceremony once every year because the work, it was never finished. And, and proving that sin was not put away forever. So it just continued over and over again. He had to pass through the veil. And by passing through the veil, he shut all of the rest of the people out. Okay? Uh, the high priest himself. Being just a man, therefore he was subject to death, so that whenever he died, another one would come up and take his office. Um, and he wasn't perfect either, because he had to bring this offering for his own sins, as well as the sins of the people. All right. So we're seeing that this, this system has a lot of faults to it. All right, it has a lot of faults to it. Um, the people were shut out of both the first part, and, and especially uh, the second part, that second veil. But Hebrews shows us that the end of that era has come. Amen. Remember we read in, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11, it really says it all when it says, for both he who sanctifies, who's he who sanctifies? Jesus. And those who are being sanctified, who's, who are those who are being sanctified? Us. 
So Jesus and us are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call you family. Hallelujah. He's not ashamed to call you family today. Amen. So we're one. So we have full access. And the Holy Spirit, let's look at verse 8 of chapter 9. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. See, the way of the first tabernacle was a message to Israel. And this message said, God is here, but you cannot come to him. God's presence is here, but you can come nowhere near his presence. All right? And, and, and that is why those veils were there. But that's not the end of the story. The Holy Spirit indicating this to show us that this first covenant was a way that was very much closed off to the people. And, and, but the new covenant, the Scripture says, is a new and living way. It is a way where the holiest place of all, called heaven itself, allows you now, invites you to not just access, but bold, confident access. See, that's why it's important for us to learn how things were so that we can truly appreciate how things are, right? To see that, that we don't go through all those, those loopholes and, the, and the, those religious gyrations and all of that formality and ceremony and all that stuff. And, and that even though they went through all that, most everybody was cut off from the presence of God, right? He had to hide behind veils from them. But now, now you understand that the Holy Spirit is indicating this, and he's indicating this to give us a brief overview, all right? That's why he just mentions along the way those things like the showbread and the, and, and the table and the, and the lampstand and, and, and just where things were because, well, let's, let's keep reading. It was symbolic, verse 9, for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. So what he was saying was all they, all they served in doing these things and all these ceremonies was, was like a fleshly cleansing. It was, that's, as, that's as deep as it went, as their religion went, as deep as the flesh was. And it could not cleanse the conscience. But we need to ask a question because we have kind of a, we have a lot of ideas about what conscience is. Follow your conscience, right? You heard that? Follow your conscience. Well, we need to first figure out what the, our conscience is before we decide we're going to follow that. All right? It is, I mean, it's common belief that, that the conscience is how we are able to distinguish and determine good and evil. Right? Do you remember... That, the, that to discern good and evil was a curse. God told them, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right? So that's not the apex of, of proper conduct. Following your conscience. Paul basically tells us that he followed his conscience. Whenever he was before uh, his conversion, he was standing before King Agrippa. Listen to this. Let's turn over there. Uh, David, if you would go to Acts chapter 26 and verse 9. Acts chapter 26 and verse 9. 
Look what Paul says as he's standing before King Agrippa, and he's giving his testimony. And then here's what he says. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. All right? I thought that I needed to do many things, and he did do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he tried to get rid of this preaching of this gospel. He tried to get that. No, 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 no. Because, because he lived at that time by self-righteousness, yeah. right? Works of the law, which ended up in self-righteousness. He said, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. So that, that, that's a comfortable righteousness. It's my righteousness. I earned this righteousness. I like my righteousness. And so this other thing where somebody else made me righteous and it's free and I don't have to earn it, no, 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 right? So his conscience was screaming at him because his whole upbringing was one thing, and that was live by the law, right? So this thing comes and his conscience says, no, 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 you got to get rid of that, right? And his conscience, think about this, his conscience deceived him, making him think that he was doing this for God, when he was actually working against God. That's why conscience isn't the final, the final answer for us. All right? So, uh, conscience is not the complete guide, I'll say that, to your conduct. It must come under instruction. All right? Must be subject to instruction. So, that's why we have the Word of God, my family. That's why we have this truth that stands the tests of time. That's why we have this truth that lasts through all the ages. As Psalm 33, 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. All right, because there are all kinds of things out there vying for you and vying, trying to get you off of the word and into, you know, different beliefs and all kinds of, well, like in these days, it's, it's, it seems like every few years, somebody comes up with a new date that Jesus is coming back and that, and that they write a book and so then everybody buys that book, and then they find out that person was a liar. All they wanted was our money. This happens up and down, over and over and over and over and over and over again. You're, and I don't know how Christians don't wake up and go, i got to stop buying those stupid books. i got to stop, right? we got to get back to the Scripture, all right? Not man's commentary on Scripture. Amen. Okay. Hey, your commentaries, those Bible commentaries make really good... Uh, uh, make a really good fire in the winter. <laughs> and the meaning of the Scriptures is revealed to our spirit, see, by the Holy Spirit, which will govern our conscience. See, you need to be governed by your spirit man, not by your conscience. All right? By your spirit man. And the Spirit himself reveals things to your spirit by revealing to us the Word of God. This is what it's saying, all right? Remember um, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, it says, um, let me go through my Rolodex for a second. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That's what the spirit will do for us. He is the revealing factor of God, that we might know the things. Amen. Verse 11, let's go to verse 11. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the entire book of Hebrews right here. You hear me say this a lot. Hebrews 9.11, Hebrews 9.11, but Christ 
came as high priest of the good things to come. Wow. Think about this. How long is his priesthood? It's forever. So how long do we expect good things to come? How long are you going to expect good things to come? Because as long as he's the high priest, good things are going to come. Wow. That's why that maybe yesterday wasn't so good, but you can expect tomorrow there'll be good things to come, and the next day there'll be good things to come, and God's able to make all these things and tragedies and losses and, and all failures and all those things to, to cause good things to come. They, he's not worried. He, that's, not, that's not why he's good. He's good because we have a high priest that is ensuring good things are coming. Amen. Jesus is doing that for you regardless of your performance. Why? I don't know, because he loves you. Because he loves you. He's, he's on your side. He bled and died for you. Amen. And so he's there to ensure good things are coming. And the ultimate good thing is when we will see him as he is and we will be with him forever and ever. I mean, that's the consummation of our salvation, spirit, soul, and body. But you can expect good things to come in every situation with the greater, watch this, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation. All right? Not with the blood of bulls, of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Where was that holy place that he went? Where was that, where was that holy place that Jesus, did he go to the temple and pour his blood out there on that mercy seat on the ark? No, 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 no. Jesus went to the holiest place of all, which is heaven itself. He doesn't get holier than heaven, right? He went up there and took a blood, his blood sacrifice with him. Glory to God, and poured it on the literal mercy seat, not the shadow mercy seat, the literal mercy seat, and then he turned around and he sat down on that mercy seat. All right? And then by doing that, my family, he obtained eternal redemption. What kind of redemption is it? You got to be careful there. That sounds like you're talking about that eternal security. Well, what is eternal redemption? Just answer that question. What is eternal redemption? Okay. What is any, okay, watch this. Okay, let's read verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. So what it was saying was what they did through all these rituals, they, they, they were able to purify the flesh. If, that, if the blood of animals could do that, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, their conscience was telling them, do more, do more, do more, do more, and then God will do, then God will do, then God will do. You got to perform, you got to perform, you got to perform. That's what their conscience was telling them. Perform so you can get blessed. Do right so God will be on your side, so that God will show your favor. Whenever you need favor, it'll be there because you did something right. Right? And that's what the conscience is telling them over and over. Conscience is telling them, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do. And, that, and, and he calls that dead works. Dead works. To serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise of the, what kind of inheritance? So it's an eternal redemption and it's an eternal inheritance.
I, I didn't write this, but I sure am glad I found it. Verse 16, for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. That is, that uh, if somebody writes out their last will and testament, right, in order for that will to be enforced, what has to happen? The guy who wrote it has to die. The guy who willed it has to die in order for it to be enforced. For a testament is enforced after men are dead, verse 17, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Isn't this something? Isn't this something? Is Jesus alive? Is he alive? But what happened before he rose? He died. And when Jesus died, your inheritance kicked in. When he died, your eternal redemption kicked in, your eternal inheritance kicked in, all right? Because the testator died. The will has been enforced, all right? He rose from the dead. Doesn't mean it's over. That means now he's alive to ensure that that happens. He's watching over. Woo! Well, that's even better. For when Moses, verse 19, had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, Wool and hyssop and sprinkle both the book itself and all the people. How disgusting is that? Right? He's just dipping this plant and he's <clears throat> sprinkling blood all over everybody. I mean, this is a bloody covenant, right? Sprinkling all the vessels of the temple and everything. Just, and, and this is what he would say. Saying, uh, verse 20, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. I mean, just blood everywhere. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Whoa, let's think about what he just said. The copies of the things that are in the heavens, the copies that being on the earth were purified with these, with this Moses slinging blood everywhere. But the heavenly things themselves with better, what's the better sacrifice? So this is Jesus' sacrifice. Watch. Uh, well, hang on a second. The copies were purified, which means the copies were what before that? If they had to be purified, then they were what? Unclean impure. And the heavenly things were purified with Jesus' blood. Heaven? What do you mean heaven was purified? Isn't heaven perfect? Isn't that the holiest place of all? I mean, that, this place is pristine, right? Watch, watch, watch. It is so holy and so clean and so good until the blood of Jesus shows up, and then it shows heaven that it's actually more clean, more pristine, more holy. So when the blood of Jesus showed up to this perfect place, it made it perfecter. <laughs> that the blood of Jesus is so pure and holy that it cleaned up heaven itself that was already pure and holy? How marvelous is this blood? How marvelous is this blood? 
My family, if it can clean up heaven, your sin ain't no problem at all. That's easy. But how do you go clean something that's so perfectly clean? It's so wonderful. The heavenly things are purified themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, watch, for us. For us. One of the things that happened when Jesus Christ gave up his spirit on that cross, the scripture said that the earth began to quake. And the rocks begin to split. It's important that this, the, the, the reason the Bible mentions that little detail that the rocks begin to split, why would it tell us that detail? Why would it tell us that the rocks split? What does stone represent? It represents the law. And the rocks were split, signifying that that had been passed away. No longer relevant for us. No longer relevant. It was a covenant, an old covenant that had been sealed up, fulfilled in him on that tree. Then something even more marvelous happened that the scripture says that that veil in that temple was torn from top to bottom. Torn from top to bottom. So that it's not just a high priest that could come before the presence of God. It's not just the priests that could come before the presence of God. It's all can come. We all have the same bold, confident access before the throne of grace. Do you see why religion is such a lie of the devil? To put men between you and God? To put men between you and God? you got to confess your sins to me because I'm the guy who will go talk to God on your behalf. I don't think so, buddy. He made an open way. He opened the way that I can have bold access right to his throne. I don't need you. I had the same access to God you do, probably more. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anybody that, that tries to stand between you and God is a, is a charlatan and a liar. All right? No man could stand in the place of the Savior of the world. The audacity of religion to do that is ridiculous. It's a lie, and they're sons of the devil, and they need to get saved. Amen. Okay. Well, I, it, it, all it does is keeps people bound. They don't get to experience the glory and the freedom of the gospel. They're, they're, they're living in a covenant that it's like going to the, it's like going, taking your credit card, to go pay for something, only to hear, <clears throat> this credit card is not valid. You can't get anything here. That's what, that's what coming under a religious system is. Trying to approach God through a religious system says, that's not valid. It's not valid here. Oh, by the way, Jesus paid it all, so it's free. You can't pay for it. You can't purchase this. He purchased it. Y'all got way too quiet on me. Why? Was I being mean, too mean? I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to be too mean. I just cannot stand that bondage of religion. For Christ, I, and I listen, let me, let, me, let me 
All right, let me back down for a moment. I realize, I understand that a lot of these people are just taught this way. All right, they're simply passing on bad information. All right, it's, it's not because they necessarily, I wanna, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they don't know any better. All right, they're not intentionally deceiving people. By faith, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not intentionally deceiving people. Hmm? Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Verse 25, we're almost through. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of, of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared or he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You know, none of those priests, none of those high priests ever considered giving their own blood for the people because the, this way of the Redeemer that was coming was so veiled to them. It was not even a thought in their mind. It was just those animal sacrifices until the one who would offer up his body. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And you know what I love this? It says it's appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. It's better to die once than to die twice. All right? In order to only die once, you have to be born twice. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. I'll let it kick in here in a second. Let, think about what I just said. Born of your mama and born of the Spirit, you only die once. But if you're only born in the natural, in that Adamic, with that Adamic nature, then you'll die and then you go to eternal death. Okay? Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. But this says, it is appointed for men to die once. Isn't that, that's in the heart of God. That's what's in the heart of God, that we die once. That we die once. And we might not even if he comes back in our time. Except, uh, uh, let's see, when, does, when is the Jewish holiday? When is that? Tell me, tribe of Judah. September. Sometime. It's today? Any second now. It's always, it's always predicted on Jewish holidays anyway. You'd think that we could... Huh? I have to buy the book. Yeah. Well, you'd think we'd see it coming after a while. You know, you think the people who are buying these books would go, wait, they predict the same holiday. Rosh Hashanah, is that what it is? Rosh Hashanah, okay. I don't know. I mean, that's just, it makes as much sense to me as my Sharona. And, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Watch this. So Christ has offered once. Did you see this over and over? Once, 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 once. Once, once, once. Now watch. The animal sacrifices had to continue for the people's sins, didn't they? They had to continue. Over and over, daily and annually by the high priest. Daily and annually. Daily and annually. Daily as a reminder of what? Sin. It was a reminder of sin. 
It was a reminder that we fail. The reminder that we that we failed God. It was a reminder that we're away from God. Remind, over and over and over again. Okay, it's a continual thing. But watch what one sacrifice did. It brings. It offers continual forgiveness. Continual, continual forgiveness. That blood speaks forever for us. One produced continual. The continual sacrifice is produced nothing. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Are you in that many? Yes, you are. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He will appear. You know, Jesus is coming back, but he's not coming back without you. He's not coming back without you. Did you hear me? He's not coming back without you. Scripture says he's coming with his saints. All right? So before he comes, we have to go there, and then we come back with him. Is that simple enough? There's your eschatology. All right? You will be raptured, and then you will return with Jesus. The end. There we go. Oh, by the way, let me say this to you. Is Jesus building his church? Did he say, I will build my church? Did he say, I will build my church? Okay. Uh, I think we need, to, we need to talk about this soon. We need to talk about this soon. Can you guys give me like five or ten minutes? Okay. All right. Go to, go to, go to, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to help you tonight. I'm going to help myself tonight. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. Three people in here probably know that song. Oh, thank you. I remember singing as a kid going, what the heck is a sheave? (laughs) It is wheat. It's the harvest. Yeah. Let's look. Where did I say to go? I totally lied to you. Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Watch this. This is so good. Second Thessalonians 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Now, watch this. Not to be what? Shaken in mind or troubled. But these end times people... What message do they bring to you? They want to shake you in your mind and trouble you. That tells you right there, this, this, they're not, this, is not a, this is not scriptural. All right? Not to be soon shaken in mind nor troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from, from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the what? Falling away comes first. So terribly mistranslated, terribly mistranslated. And so this has gotten people off track to to say that the church, there's going to be this great apostasy of the church and the church is going to fall away and then God's going to come and judge everybody, right? This actually is better translated catching away. 
If you want to look it up in your Greek little study, I want you to do that. Unless, then what? Unless there be a catching away first. For that day will not come unless the catching away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. In other words, what he's saying is the only thing that's keeping this spirit of Antichrist from taking over is the church. The fact that we are here and Jesus is not building something that's going to fail. If he's going to build his church, his church is not going to fall away. All right? If he's building it, it's going up. It's increasing. And my family, let me just help you understand that today there are more people on planet Earth getting saved than ever before. The church is expanding. The church is growing. And we are, we are a great light in the world. But when we are caught away, when we're taken out of here, that's when all of this crud is going to show up. The son of perdition and this, this antichrist system will come into full force because there will be nothing stopping it. All right, there'll be nothing stopping it. Who opposes and exhausts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that showing himself that he is God. Nobody else showing himself. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. That's what what's restraining him. Say, I am. All right. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. You catch this? Taken out of the way. That's why falling away doesn't make any sense. All right? We have to be removed, taken out of the way, so that this can happen. So you're, you're not going to be here for the tribulation. All right? when all, you're gone. That ought to comfort you tonight. 1 Thessalonians 4. Now turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. That's hard to say. Maybe I'll do a whole teaching on this sometime. If you guys would like that. Maybe I should write a book and make some money. <laughs> I mean, it would be like, open up, you will be raptured, turn the page, you will return with Jesus, yeah. the end. Turn over, 1295. Yeah, it'd be like a kid's book, that's right. Tick. Talk says the clock. That's all there is to it. Okay. Watch verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. That's, that's my kind of book, though. Man, I read a whole book tonight. <laughs> like I tell people, you know, I was fourth in my class. I graduated fourth in my class, and I'm pretty proud of that. I don't tell them that there were only six of us, and I was in the bottom 50%. But, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Oh, this is comforting to us, isn't it? 
We have loved ones. We have loved ones that, that we love and loved ones who, who we were inspired by and the things of God, and we know they, they love the Lord and, uh, and, and they're gone on to heaven. You know, I can't wait. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing my, my grandfathers again and, you know, others that I love that, that have gone on before us, some, some that were left too young and some, you know, but either way, this is comforting to know that they died in Jesus, right? For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, Paul was pretty hopeful when he was saying we who are alive and remain, right? He thought, I'm, I'm going to be here till the rapture. We all, every generation would like to believe that, right? But either way, if you die in Jesus or you live in Jesus, you're in him. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, where? In the clouds. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Wow. Now, one more place, Revelation chapter 19. I told you at 8.04, I need 10 minutes, 8.11. Hurry up. Revelation 19, and we've talked about this, but we've got to keep talking about this. Verse 11, now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. There are horses in heaven. Isn't that cool? Notice there's no cats there. <laughs> Notice that, Kayla? All right. Behold, a white horse, and he, uh, except for Cat Viscaino. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, now I saw heaven, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written no one knew except himself. I wonder why that is. <laughs> I've named myself, and I'm not telling anybody what it is. <laughs> All right, Jesus, <laughs> that's, your, that's your prerogative. All right, verse 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the, and the armies, and the armies, and the armies in heaven. And the armies in heaven. Where are they? In heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Where's he going? Where's Jesus going? He's coming to earth. And who's going with him? How did you get there? So he didn't come for you, you came to him. He didn't come to you, you came to him in the air. And then he brought you into heaven and said, all right, uh, uh, time to cowboy up, get on your white horse. And now we're going to go finish this thing. All right? If we just read the Bible, we can see the message here. We can see it clear. White and clean. Followed him on white horses. He rides a horse, so do we. I love this. All right, those are just a few of the scriptures I wanted you to see. All right, I don't claim to be an expert on eschatology, but I, I do know enough of the scripture to know, duh. This is pretty simple. All right? So that's why, that way we're not shaken in our minds and we're not troubled in our souls about any of this. 
All right, there's a lot of doomsday sayers out there. I'm, I'm telling you, since I was a little kid, I've heard every message on this. <sighs> the, all these supposed experts found out they're not, they're not experts in anything. They're, ex, they're experts in knowing nothing. <laughs> and they come and they go, and they come and they go, and they've got this many degrees, and they've got this many letters behind them, and they come and they go, and they come and they go, and the Scripture still stands. The Word of God is still true. All right, let's stand together. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.